welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. This podcast, hosted by Kate Agnew and Marie Ferguson, will empower you to realize your professional dreams by giving you access to our global community of dietitians. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we'll educate you, inspire you, and help you create more impact as a dietitian. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where you're listening. I'm recording this from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. And I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening to us today. Welcome to our Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm Jane Winter from Dietitian Connection, and I'm also an accredited practicing dietitian. Now, as we know, as nutrition science advances, so does our understanding of and our appreciation for the link between the gut and the brain. Today, we've invited Dr. Wolfgang Marks from the Food and Mood Centre at Deakin University to discuss the latest on the influence of diet on the gut and brain, including pre and probiotics, polyphenols and fermented foods. Dr. Marks is a joint Alfred Deakin and Multiple Sclerosis Research Australia postdoc research fellow and head of the nutraceutical research stream at the Food and Mood Centre. It's already quite a mouthful, Wolf. Um, <laughs> Wolfgang is also a dietitian and honorary research fellow at the Flory Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health, La Trobe University and Bond University. His current research program covers a broad range of projects involving the use of nutraceuticals for mental health, fatigue and cognition. And of particular interest is the role of polyphenols, compounds found abundantly in spices, fruits, vegetables, in brain health and the gut microbiome. And our podcast today is supported by Culture Co. Just a disclaimer, the podcast is not and is not intended to be medical advice, which should be tailored to individual circumstances. This podcast is for information only, and we advise that you exercise your own judgment before deciding to use the information provided. Professional medical advice should be obtained before taking action. So with that, welcome, Wolf, and thanks very much for joining me today. Thanks, Jane. Pleasure to be here. So we always like to hear a little bit about our guests on the podcast and how they've come to arrive at their current career destination. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and specifically how you've come to this fascinating area of research at the Food and Mood Centre? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I trained as a dietitian uh, through the University of Queensland with um, you know, Dr. Liz Eisenring, Sandra Capra, Judy Bauer, that um, I'm sure a lot of you know or, or maybe were, were taught by. Um, the big names. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. And so I've, I've always been interested in the, the role of, I guess, nutraceuticals and functional foods, not just on, I guess, our brain health, but health, I guess, broadly. Um, and when I was studying um, up there at UQ, I was fortunate enough to receive a summer scholarship to work on a systematic review that was looking at the role of ginger supplementation for um, chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. And this experience, this sort of for, you know initial foray into to research, kind of just cinched it for me. Um, and so pretty soon after that, I applied for a PhD. Uh, I essentially to take these results further. Um, and so we ran a randomized controlled trial um, and you know a few sort of mechanistic uh, lab studies around how ginger might work and all these sorts of things. Um, but one of the, I guess, 
interesting uh, findings that came from the trial was that we found that ginger supplementation seemed to improve fatigue symptoms. And this wasn't really a, a, a finding that we expected. And so I, when I was diving into the literature, trying to figure out, you know, is there any sort of biological sort of plausibility to this? I, I then came across things like how polyphenol compounds have um, anti-inflammatory properties and how our brain responds to inflammation. And this sort of um, introduced me to, I guess, this fascinating um, uh, connection between what we eat and how it affects our, our brain. And so I moved back down to uh, Melbourne, which uh, I was originally from. Um, I was lucky enough to uh, secure a position with um, Professor Catherine Itziopoulos and her med diet group at La Trobe University, where I looked at um, extra virgin olive oil and its effect on um, CBD and cognitive outcomes. And in 2018, um, I received a fellowship to come work with Professor Fleece Jack at the Food and Mood Center uh, to lead the nutraceutical research stream. And so that's where I am today. Uh, I think we started with maybe 10 people. I think we could all fit around a very small lunch table. And now I think there's about 40 of us or something. Um, and so I focus on the role of dietary compounds and functional foods, uh, their effect on mental health and uh, brain health, um, including the role of diet and multiple sclerosis. And um, this year I was very fortunate to uh, receive an investigator grant from the NHMRC, which essentially allows a five-year platform to um, expand this, this research program. And this, I guess, brings us up to today. <laughs> well, congratulations on that anyway, because they're highly competitive. Um, no. I know those grants, so that's great. And wow, you've had the, really the privilege of working with some of the really big names in research and nutrition Absolutely. across all the states um, and really across a range of different areas. So yeah, lucky I, you. <laughs> I, I feel very fortunate. There are some amazing uh, mentors and, and leaders. Absolutely. Yeah. So from the evidence base that we have at the moment, and of course, from the SMILES trial, which was kind of groundbreaking, I guess, in a way, um, can the food that we eat actually influence our mental health and our mood? Yeah. Uh, so I guess the the way I see it is that we now have a number of converging data points. So we have a number of different study designs that support this hypothesis that a healthy diet can improve our mood. So we have a number of observational studies, both from cross-sectional analyses and prospective analyses, where we follow up uh, participants over a long period of time. Um, and these show that a variety of healthy dietary patterns, you know, whether it's Mediterranean diet or a dietary inflammatory index, a DASH diet, um, are associated with a reduced risk of depression. And what I think is, um, uh, I guess, important to highlight about what we know from the observational literature is that this is shown from, across a number of different data sets from around the world um, and across the lifespan. And it's also um, an effect that persists when you control for some of these important confounders. So, you know, things like physical activity or sleep or, you know, other lifestyle things that we know are linked to our mental health. Uh, when controlled for these, 
um, as well as things like baseline depression, we see that this, this effect persists. And we now have a number of meta-analyses where we've grouped all these um, observational studies together to see the overall effect. And we, when we look at that, it's, it's roughly a 30% reduced risk of depression in those that adhere to a healthy dietary pattern compared to um, those that don't adhere uh, to such a pattern. And that's really exciting news, isn't it, as dietitians to have something so strong in the evidence about mood and mental health being associated with diet because we've been banging on for years about improving <laughs> your diet, but it's always been about probably physical um, you know, cardiovascular disease, those sorts of things, and, and less about mood. So, and the SMILES trial was an intervention study, though, wasn't it? That's right. So, I guess what's, um, you know, I guess exciting uh, is that, you know, we have, and when you think about Research 101, it's, uh, you know, observational studies are sort of that hypothesis generating and, you know, an association. But what's great to see is that we now have. Um, this translated into the, the clinical trial space as well, which we, where we can start to talk about causality. So um, we had the, the SMILES trial where um, we recruited 67 adults with clinical depression um, and we randomized them to a dietary intervention or a, I guess, a sort of non-dietary social support group. This was a 12-week intervention. Um, participants that were uh, randomized to the dietary intervention, received an individualized dietetic support uh, by a trained um, accredited practicing dietitian. Um, and this was to adhere to a modified Mediterranean style diet. Um, and yeah, at the, at the end of the 12 week uh, time point, we found this really significant reduction in depressive symptoms in the diet group compared to control. Uh, and we also ran a cost-effectiveness analysis that suggested that this intervention could provide cost savings to the individual and health system, um, which is, I guess, another sort of data point that we need to help with the translation into the clinical practice. And I think what's really exciting to see is since SMILES trial, there's now um, been other studies by other research groups that have replicated these results, which... You know, it's obviously an important next step um, to ensure that this wasn't just a, you know, a chance finding. And so there's been studies from University of South Australia, uh, Murdoch University, where they looked at um, uh, essentially a Mediterranean style diet in young adults. And yeah, we, we see this same um, consistent pattern. How does the food we eat influence our mental health and mood? Do we know much about the mechanism yet? Yeah, so um, we recently published a, a invited expert review um, in molecular psychiatry where we essentially looked at exactly this. So um, this is an area that's very much emerging. And so we brought together um, experts from really all over the world who specialize in various mechanisms involved in mental health. And we essentially put it to them how does diet or, or does diet um, have, have uh, you know, modulate any of these, these mechanisms and what do we sort of, what do we know about this? And so what we found from our review was that there was a number of different pathways that diet might uh, modulate um, and how, and that may then improve or, or modulate our, our mental health. And so these are things such as um, pathways related to inflammation, 
uh, oxidative stress, uh, mitochondrial dysfunction, um, you know, a whole host of things. But of course, the gut microbiota uh, was one of the the key areas that we identified um, because of just the the ex explosion of of research that's um, been happening in the last sort of five to ten years. Um, one of the I think sort of key take-home messages though was that um, while there was a number of different pathways that we think are, are related, it's unlikely to be any one, uh, you know, magic bullet sort of pathway. It's, it's likely that it's this really uh, interconnected, overlapping sort of uh, system where, you know, the gut microbiome might, uh, you know, influence inflammation and inflama inflammation might uh, influence our um, you know, neuroplasticity and all these sorts of things. So I think it's, it's a sort of tangled web of, of different overlapping pathways. And I think what's interesting is that I think that's the same for our diet as well, where, um, you know, when you look at a healthy diet, there's just this huge range of different compounds, like bioactive compounds that we think might be implicated. And it's unlikely that it's, you know, one magic bullet superfood or anything like that, but it's likely that whole dietary pattern where everything sort of connects and it helps um, modulate this and that. Yeah. And that certainly looks like when you look at the research now about diet, dietary patterns are emerging as a like key focus of the research rather than a particular food group or a particular food. It's, it is all about this pattern. So right. we're changing your gut microbiota that can happen quite quickly with yep. with a, a change an intervention um, and with diet so if you can change your diet and change that quite quickly does that mean that you can have a pretty quick effect on your mental health uh, as well yeah sure so maybe I'll, I'll start by um I, I guess just give it an overview of, of I guess what we know about the sort of gut brain connection and then we can sort of talk about yeah, how sure. sort of diet sort of links into that so I guess just very broadly um as I said you know this is an area of intense research interest but also clinical interest and general public interest um and certainly over the last sort of five to ten years we now can see that people with um uh, with, with depression as well as other mental illnesses have a different gut microbiota composition compared to healthy individuals. We now have um, evidence from germ-free mice, which were essentially mice without a gut microbiome, uh, where these mice have different um, have changes in in various pathways involved in our our uh, mental health. So changes in neurotransmitter function, change in uh, neuroplasticity, uh, changes in the size of our hippocampus. You know things that are linked to learning and memory and all these sorts of things. And we also have studies now where if you transfer um, the gut microbiome from people with depression into these germ-free mice those mice then start to display depressive behaviors. So we have this really interesting convergence of all these different sort of data points, which say that, yes, the gut microbiome seems to be different in people with mental health. Um, and it's unlike, well, the evidence points to the, the, uh, the idea that it's not just that this gut microbiome is along for the ride. It's actually part of that sort of causal pathway. And so I guess, like you said, well, if there is this change, can we 
you know, quickly change our diet, which might change our gut microbiome, which might then change our mood. Um, certainly in, um, certainly we, we know that the gut microbiota, it's in this constant change of flux. So it's always changing in response to our environment, things like stress, illness, medication, physical activity, um, and of course, diet being a key modulator of our gut microbiome. Um, and uh, I have presented on some of the, the earlier work where they've shown that um, a change in diet in as short as you know five days or, or so can result in this rapid change in our gut microbiota composition or markers of our gut microbiome. Um, and once the uh, participants stop this dietary intervention, their diet essentially reverts back to their sort of baseline um, uh, gut microbiota composition within as little as two days. Some of the more recent studies have shown the same uh, similar effect over 24 hours. Um, but I guess to me, the, the big question is, well, does this rapid change in the gut microbiota uh, translate into sort of clinical um, outcomes like depression or, or, you know, the, the chronic disease that you're interested in. And I think this is really an area where we need some more research. I think it's, I, I think it's unlikely that, you know, it's, it's as simple as a rapid change in gut co composition will then re result in this rapid change in, um, you know, our mental health. And I think particularly when you look at, um, for example, the probiotic literature, uh, when studies have looked at the effect size dependent on the time frame of these clinical trials, we see that trials that have been longer than four weeks show a greater effect size compared to those um, that are less than four weeks, which to me says it's probably a more of a sustained thing uh, to, to start to see, uh, you know, an actual clinical effect. Yeah, so I guess, as you say, it's it's there's not just one direct line between change your diet, gut microbiota yeah. changes, mental health is solved, fixed. Yeah, done, done, um, done. Yeah. yeah, there's <laughs> so much more to it than that. And so, right, so we understand now that our dietary patterns and gut microbiota are closely linked. But now when we talk about gut microbiome, we hear a lot about pre and probiotics. So can you just very quickly give us a, a definition of what they are, but then also whether there's research into those and mental health. Yeah, sure. So uh, probiotics are essentially um, you know, live bacteria that um, when ingested, they deliver some sort of beneficial effect to the host, meaning, meaning us. Um, and so an example of that is, you know, when you go to your chemist, you know, things like, um, you know, your acidophilus supplements and these sorts of things are, are your, your probiotic supplements. Um, and then there's also other foods that contain these, these probiotics as well, things like fermented dairy and, and the like. Prebiotics, on the other hand, are essentially the, the fuel for probiotics. They're um, non-digestible food elements um, that uh, act by, I guess, stimulating the growth or um, providing fuel to these uh, probiotic bacteria, which then provides some sort of beneficial um, improvement. And so the classic one in the literature uh, is, is, you know, dietary fiber. Um, that's a, a thing that we don't, um, you know, digest for ourselves, but our gut bacteria 
uh, you know, consume that and that provides, you know, growth and, and, and fuel and, and, and such. Um, in relation to our mood and our mental health, most of the research has really focused on probiotics. Uh, there's less, um, and, and by that, I mean, randomized controlled trial evidence has been mostly focused on probiotics. Um, and certainly when we look at the randomized controlled trials for uh, probiotics, we see, um, you know, in uh, some of the more recent meta-analyses, we see that administration of these probiotics improve depressive symptoms. Um, and we even see a greater effect um, of probiotics in trials that have looked at um, people with, with clinical depression. So that's that's all very promising. And there's also some evidence to suggest that it improves anxiety symptoms as well. Prebiotics, however, is a relatively uh, small number of clinical trials, uh, particularly good quality, uh, long-term randomized controlled trials that have looked at that for depressive symptoms. And when we look at meta-analyses, there doesn't seem to be much of an effect. Uh, but to me, that's less um, a conclusion of, well, then there's no effect. I think it's more of a, a wait and see. We actually need some, some quality clinical trials to, in that space to really sort of tease out what's what's going on there. And you would imagine just thinking it through from not a research specific perspective in this area, but a lot of the dietary patterns would tend to have high levels of prebiotics in mm -hmm. them anyway as part of that dietary pattern. So it wouldn't be a surprise to think that they have some kind of effect in yeah, this exactly. relationship. Exactly. I think I think there's there's more to it. And and now we don't just have prebiotics and probiotics. Now we hear about postbiotics and paraprobiotics and symbiotics. <laughs> yeah. And can you give us some sort of insight into what these are and what their function is? Yeah, sure. Uh, so symbiotics, uh, I, I'll start with because that's kind of the, the, the easier one. Uh, so symbiotics are essentially formulations that are a combination of prebiotics and probiotics. And so they're delivered together. And the theory is that when you deliver these um, uh, prebiotics and probiotics together, uh, you're essentially providing the beneficial bacteria, but you're also providing the fuel for this bacteria so that there's this synergy that will provide a greater benefit to us um, that's above any individual uh, component. Um, postbiotics are a... I guess, a more um, recent term where instead of looking at the gut bacteria, um, they're looking at that sort of next step. So what do the gut bacteria produce? So uh, the gut bacteria uh, produce things like short chain fatty acids, which have you know, anti-inflammatory properties and all these sorts of things. Postbiotics are essentially skipping the delivery of, of that bacteria and just delivering the short chain fatty acids themselves. So this is where we hear butyrate. That's one of yep. the short chain. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, and then paraprobiotics, para um, uh, where you deliver probiotics that have essentially been um, deactivated. So they're either heat treated and so they're essentially you know, dead uh, probiotics or uh, components of um, the cell structure of the probiotics um, instead. So instead of these live microorganisms, they're essentially heat inactivated. 
and what's the benefit of those? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's that's a great question. So um, there's so uh, research into paraprobiotics is I, I see it as a really important area because it informs, um, I guess, one the mechanism. So you know we're sort of working on, or I guess, the bulk of pro- probiotic research right now is working on this idea that we need to ensure that the um, microorganisms that we're delivering need to be, you know, alive and sufficient quantities and blah, 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 blah. Um, but paraprobiotic research, you know, if, if, they're, if we're seeing a, a beneficial effect from just one particular part of the cell or, you know, a, a dead um, bacteria, then that informs things like, you know, shelf stability, uh, how we uh, manufacture our products. Um, you know, there. You know, if you look at the supplements out there, there's um, ones that have enterically uh, encoded capsules. Yeah. Uh, you know, it informs a whole host of delivery mechanisms, and so um, I think this is going to be a really interesting area as it evolves because it yeah informs, I guess, everything that we sort of know about how probiotics might work. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, that's really interesting. So it's really just giving us more insights into, as you say, how probiotics work and what might be the active part of it or do you need all of it? So if we bring it back from those lofty terms to something a little (laughs) bit more practical uh, and around one in five Australians are experiencing some kind of mental disorder and there's a lot of discussion about mental health, what's from a, a practical point of view, what sort of foods should we be eating to best support our mental health and mood? Yeah, so I think we uh, touched on it a little bit at the start, where I think the the emphasis really is um, rather on rather than on fruit items um, and specific compounds, which I guess is in contrast to my uh, large largely my my research interest. But I think that the most well supported um, position right now is that. Um, it's not about a you know, magic bullet compound or anything like that. It's around dietary patterns. You know, we've we've shown that uh, you know Mediterranean style diets can uh, reduce risk of depression. Our Smiles trial uh, you know con- confirms that to an extent, um, and I guess uh, that also goes for other dietary patterns. You know, whether it's the Dash diet or an adherence to healthy eating guidelines and so on and so forth, but. Um, certainly we're starting to tease apart, you know, what are the sort of healthy components of uh, a healthy diet that might be uh, particularly responsible for some of these things. And I guess when you look at a healthy diet, there's all sorts of uh, variety of candidate compounds, um, you know, vitamins and minerals such as zinc and magnesium, which have um, both clinical trial evidence and observational evidence for, uh, their role in in mental health and depression, omega three fatty acids, where we've recently published clinical guidelines for their use in depression, uh, polyphenols, which have a whole range of you know anti inflammatory properties and and the like, but um, we also have really strong prebiotic properties. And of course, uh, when you talk about prebiotics, things like dietary fiber, uh, resistant starch, um, and and the like. And I think what's also interesting is that we 
have shown, I guess, the the converse is sort of true as well. So we've recently published a meta-analysis which has shown that a high consumption of ultra-processed foods um, is associated with an increased risk of depression. So it's not just about consuming all those healthy compounds, but it's also reducing your intake of those unhealthy compounds, things like, you know, die high in fat, salt, uh, sugar, you know, these all appear to have a negative effect on our gut microbiota, but um, also, you know, a dietary pattern that uh, comprises these, these compounds also seem to be negative for our, our mental health. And the other thing we're hearing a lot about is fermented foods. So what is the supposed benefits or attributes of fermented foods, even though we know that they've been around for centuries probably? Yeah. Um, what what's their benefits and what are we should we be looking for in fermented foods? Sure. So uh, fermented foods are really uh, really interesting area of research um, because I think they they bring together everything that we've been talking about already. You know they they have that uh, you know that that live bacteria. They also have those prebiotic properties. You know if, if you think of you know, for example, sauerkraut, you know, has that dietary fiber and then the rest. Uh, but then they also have the metabolites of that, um, that fermentation process as well, which also seem to have things like anti-inflammatory properties in the rest. And we, we published a, a paper recently um, on that, if, if you're interested, uh, where we break down all the various components of fermented foods that seem to be beneficial um, I guess the, the interesting thing now is now that there's a whole host of different fermented foods on the market, it's a little bit difficult to navigate, you know, what, you know, what we should be looking for. Um, and I guess there's a, a few considerations I can mention. I guess the first one is that because probiotics degrade over time um, and are heat sensitive, you know, opting for products that have a long expiry date or the refrigerated, you know, these sorts of things can improve, I guess, our confidence in the, um, I guess, the potency of the product. Um, when we talk about dose, um, this is a, a, a common question that pops up. And I guess there's no sort of firm answer yet, but I guess the rule of thumb right now is to look for products that have 1 billion um, CFU or colony forming units or above. Um, and I think a, a key piece of um, advice is that not all fermented foods um, are necessarily considered probiotic. So a lot of these fermented foods have, you know, live bacteria, but this live bacteria you know, they're not all the same and we need, um, you know, the, the, for those strains of bacteria to be uh, tested within clinical trials before you can actually say that this actually is beneficial. You know, a strain from yogurt versus a strain from kombucha, completely different properties, um, then you can't sort of say that they're, they're like with like. And so a good resource that I refer to as the International Scientific Association of Probiotics and Prebiotics. Um, and they have some good uh, handouts and resources for sort of navigating some of these, these issues. Um, and you can also refer to um, my Dietitian Connection webinar where on the slides I have a list of strains that have been tested within um, the depression space. 
Yeah, that's that's great. That's really helpful because I think uh, as dietary students who might be working in uh, clinical practice or private practice, I'm sure they get bombarded by these sorts of questions all the time and you just can't possibly be constantly up to date. So having the resources that you can turn to is helpful. So for those dietitians who are working in practice and and seeing patients that might have, you know, and, and mood or mental health may not be the first reason that they're actually presenting to the dietitian, but it may be uncovered as as part of um, their sort of area that they need to help with. What's this research really mean for dietitians in practice? How can they sort of best apply it? Sure. So I think there's a, a few things. So I, I think, I guess the first one that I, I guess I've touched on already is that, um, you know, we, we've looked at, you know, Mediterranean diet, we looked at dietary inflammatory index, it's, it, there's no one diet. It's really just a healthy dietary pattern that's uh, really best supported by the, the evidence. And so one that says that it doesn't need to be some sort of you know fad diet or specialty diet or anything like that. It's really just a sort of a healthy dietary pattern. Um, and that, that also says that you know, it's, it's not necessarily that they have to consume this particular food. It's 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 about the the context of the overall diet. Um, what we've also shown from our clinical trials is that it's not um, they need not be uh, you know fully adherent to a perfect Mediterranean style diet or whatever. Um, it's really about um, meeting them where they are, their baseline diet, and looking at dietary improvements and swaps and these sorts of things. Um, and I think that's important, particularly look when you're working with people in who you know do have depressed mood um, that you know may find a, a you know a fairly rigorous dietary intervention to be quite um, you know difficult to to adhere to. Um, but what I also think is quite um, useful, you know, what, what is, is essentially using this evidence as, as a motivational tool for clients. So, you know, um, you know to eat, eat more vegetables is something that we've all heard, but to eat more prebiotic vegetables and, you know, learning about how, you know, various foods uh, can affect, uh, affect our brain health and all these sorts of things. I think this is something that people are really interested in and um, can find it as a, as a new sort of source of motivation. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's applicable that message across all age groups as well. So, True. you know, people that are getting older are probably very keen to try and improve their mental health, not just from a cognitive deficit side of things, but also from a mood perspective as well. Absolutely. So, you know, I think it's it's really valuable. Um, so other than those sort of points of, you know, looking at dietary patterns and it's, there's a whole range of dietary patterns and that's where dietitians have their skill is individualising their advice. Is there any other sort of key points that you'd like dietitians to take away from today to, to help them really sort of appreciate this or, you know, improve this um, interventions for the gut-brain link? Nothing major. I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think... Yeah, we've talked about the dietary patterns. I think specific compounds like prebiotics and probiotics, these are a growing, um, you know, there's a growing evidence base. And I think that um, they also appear to be, you know, um, safe to consume and these sorts of things. And so I think 
uh, using that sort of individualized and sort of clinical judgment when navigating the various prebiotics and probiotics, but essentially looking for specific strains that are evidence-based is, is, I guess, one sort of key point. And I guess the other thing is that I really see dietitians as, you know, a, a key sort of um, information source uh, in translating it from the research sphere to the clinical tri- uh, to the to the clinical space because you know this is an area that is rapidly evolving and there's a huge amount of um, uh, general public interest and fortunately that often results in misinformation and you know in social media and everything and so I think you know uh, as evidence based health providers. Um, I, I really see dietitians as, you know, optimally placed to, you know, to educate clients on how to navigate all these various things um, that are developing in this sphere. Yeah, I think this, this area of gut health is actually presents itself as a great opportunity for dietitians to show themselves as leaders in that translating it from the research into practical Absolutely messages that they can give to their clients so and the resources that you mentioned I think are really helpful and so we'll put um, list those resources in our show notes for this podcast so anyone who wants to have a look at them afterwards can go and check them out and you know the amazing thing that we all know is that dietary interventions are very low risk you know you're not not looking about a a, talking (laughs) about a medication here or anything you're talking about a dietary intervention that we know is low risk and not only has benefits for your mental health, but has benefits for so many other aspects of health as well. Uh, so, you know, it's really, it's like there's nothing to lose um, yeah. by, by trying these out. So thank you so much for your time today, Wolf. It was really, really interesting. Um, I heard all about different types of biotics that <laughs> I've never come across before. Uh, and we'd also like to thank uh, the Culture Co for supporting our podcast today. So thanks very much for your time. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. To get all of the links and resources we discussed through this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review for us and a rating on the Apple Podcast app. Tell us what you thought about this episode, what you learned, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We really value hearing from you and we really value your feedback. So please, please hit that review button.